The Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by our friends at Main Street Pharmacy. Located right on Main Street in Blacksburg, Virginia, Main Street Pharmacy is proudly owned by a Hokie family and has been a partner of this podcast since 2020. MSP offers free delivery, curbside pickup, and vaccinations as well. If you are a student or resident in the Blacksburg area, you can always trust that at Main Street Pharmacy, you are not just a number, you are a neighbor. What's up, Hokies? It's been a few weeks since we recorded. A um, couple tough losses, one good win mixed in there. Um, but we wanted to jump on and talk through kind of what's taking place so far in conference play um, and then preview the UVA game coming up on Wednesday because that's always a point of interest for the fans. So um, first things first, we'll just kind of recap the, I guess, first four official ACC games. We obviously had that one Louisville one in there as well, but um, a loss on the road to a pretty good Wake Forest team a tough loss to Florida State on the road in a game that we probably should have had. Um, a huge 15-point win over, at the time, 21-ranked Clemson at home, and then a tough loss to Miami at home this past Saturday, 75-71. A Miami team that I think right now um, is not where they will be in terms of the national standing by the time year's end comes around, but nonetheless, it was a good opportunity to win a game that we let slip, as was Florida State. Two really good opportunities to win games that slipped through our fingertips. So, uh, we are two and three currently in conference play. Um, I'll go through the schedule a little bit more in a second here and um, kind of rattle off what I think is our path to a winning record in conference play. Um, but first, you know, just kind of want to recap these four games at a broad level. Um, Sean Padula has been ridiculous in these in this four game stretch. Really, back to Florida State, he's been ridiculous. Wake Forest, not so much, but um, Florida State, he set his career high, and then in Clemson, he broke his career high, and then he did it again against Miami. Um, he's just been absolutely unconscious. And you've kind of seen when somebody steps up along with Sean Padula, um, this team will win some games. And without Hunter Couture against Miami, it was really tough to get going offensively uh, with that secondary scoring option. Uh, you saw against Clemson, Tyler Nickel was on fire, had 25 himself. So there was your guy stepping up. But uh, outside of Sean Padula and really Lane Kidd, um, there's been a lack of a consistent third scorer at a you know double-digit point level. And that's made winning these tight games really, really difficult. So that's going to be a point of emphasis that we've talked about kind of all year. Um, and we'll talk about it more throughout this episode. But uh, we really need a third scoring option on any given night to step up, whether it's Hunter Couture, whether it's MJ Collins, whether it's Tyler Nickel. Um, if that third guy steps up into the fold with Lane Kidd and Sean Padula, this team, I think, will meet the path that I've drawn out for them to an 11-9 and conference record. Um, but Mike, what are your thoughts kind of on the last four Wake, Florida State, Clemson, and Miami? Yeah, the Florida State game, real frustrating just because I think that was a game that was absolutely winnable, you know. Um, Tech didn't play fantastic in the second half, fell behind, I think it was by 10 with like a minute and a half to play, 8 or 10. Kind of stormed back. Um, Florida State got called with kind of a, I mean, it was definitely a carry, but it was like a phantom carry call kind of. It's a little bit of a gift. Um, Hokies got themselves obviously back into the game there last minute and a half by grace of God really and then 
you know, obviously the Hunter Couture foul call was a little iffy at the end. I'd rather, you know, the officials swallow the whistle there. A lot of fans were upset about it. I didn't think it was a foul, but also, like, Tech didn't play particularly well for most of that second half and kind of put themselves in a position where you leave it up to the ref's hands, right, and it puts you in a tough spot. That was a game that Virginia Tech, I think, really would like to have. Florida State's going to be battling to just be on the bubble. I, they've been playing pretty good basketball. They're 4-1 and one in conference play as we record. Um, didn't look great in the non-con, obviously. Um, but, you know, Florida State's picked up a, a couple of decent wins in the ACC play now. So they're trying to claw their way back, um, you know, in, into that tournament conversation. I echo everything you said about John Padula, like this past weekend, obviously, the Miami game on Saturday night. It was really, really good. Um, I, I think what's happening here, too, is like, not having that consistent second score is a killer. And, you know, usually that would be Hunter Couture, right? Like, Lynn Kidd's been really good. Like, he was good in non-con play. And then conference play, it's kind of hit or miss, depending on the matchup. Uh, obviously, he was really good against Miami. But not having Couture on the floor, because he, he really wasn't on the floor the entire second half. He got hurt late in the first half uh, two games ago against Clemson, and then didn't play at all against Miami. Not having him on the floor is a killer. So when you don't have him on the floor, it becomes all the more imperative that somebody else step up. It's the same issue that the Hokies had last year, right, in, in, as far as, like, flaws in roster construction, where, like, there needs to be that second guy that steps up around Padula, and if he doesn't, then, you know, he's in a position where there's a lot of pressure on him. I think Padula is clearly a better player than he was a year ago. That's not just because of this three-game stretch. I think in totality this season, he's had a couple rough games of turnovers, but like in totality, he's done a much better job taking care of the basketball. And obviously, his scoring now is at another level, a level that it wasn't even at last year. Potential has always been there. We've seen it in flashes, but we're starting to see it a bit more consistently this season. I think it's really good, right? And it definitely raises Virginia Tech's ceiling. But the Hokies need somebody else to step up. And the guy I look at is Tyler Nickel. You and I have been texting a lot about this. This is really Tyler Nichols' freshman year, right? I mean, we can talk about the semantics, the fact that he's a sophomore, the fact that he played at UNC last year, but he didn't really play Ed, you know? He, he played six minutes a game. Like, you and I know this. He played six minutes per game last year, right? He, he logged 150 minutes, I think, for the entire season. He barely played. Um, his, his best game was against Virginia Tech, but he really didn't suit up, and he was only playing in that game because of injuries. UNC is uh, UNC is a program that's, that's really good. Obviously, they're playing really well this year. Um, Hokies got, obviously, a game with them coming up here in a few weeks, which will be a really tough one to go win. Um, but Tyler Nichol transfers over to Blacksburg, and he's supposed to be this this big-time contributor. And I think he'll get there, but he's still trying to find his footing. And you saw the potential uh, against Clemson. And if he can step up and be that guy, I'm not saying score 25 a night, Ed, but score like 10 to 12 a night, that would be really significant. Give the Hokies the offensive scoring punch that they were hoping to get out of Robbie Barron. You know, Robbie Barron's averaging like four and a half a game. I think they were hoping he would score more like eight or nine a game this year, right? Give the Hokies like eight and eight. He's not really giving them that right now, so they got to find the scoring somewhere else. And when Hunter Couture's out of the lineup, it becomes all that more imperative that somebody else step up and help him out, right? Because Lynn Kidd isn't a guy who can go get his own bucket. He's a rim runner, and he's been very good this year, and I'm not taking anything away from him, but the Hokies need somebody else who's going to step up and be able to go get their own shot. And the natural fit for that, especially with Couture out of the lineup, is Tyler Nickel. And it's unfair to him in a lot of ways. I tweeted this the other night too, Ed. It's unfair to him in a lot of ways because he has to step up and be this guy, be this like more mature guy in terms of like his production as a player than 
he really can be at this stage in his career. Like, we're asking him to play, like, a junior or a senior when he's really, like, playing his first major minutes in, in Power 5 competition. It's a tough spot for him to be in, but they really need him to step up and be that guy if the Hokies want to achieve their goals, especially with Katori out of the lineup. Yeah, Tyler's averaging nine a game right now. That's really anchored by the 25 against Clemson. Um, I, I don't have... I don't have anything to add to that. You're spot on. I agree with everything you just said. Um, I guess coming away from the Miami game, I, I didn't leave watching that game upset about how we played. I thought we played a really good game. I thought we did a really good job against a pretty electric offense. You know, Nigel Pock, Hugo Poplar, Norchad Omir. That's a really good offensive team. Um, and I thought we did really well considering Hunter didn't play. But, you know, the frustrating part of that is that Hunter didn't play. And, you know, if you take the five three-point attempts that MJ Collins took, give two of them to Hunter Couture, he makes at least one, right? I mean, the guy's like damn near 50% on his career. Um, then you probably win that game. So, you know, that kind of thing is just certainly a bummer. But, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, they need the three spot and the four spot to be more productive uh, offensively. Those two spots throughout the year, when, that, when one of those two spots is productive offensively, usually coming from Tyler Nickel, um, we win games. And when those two spots are kind of just silent and it's the Sean Vadula, Lynn Kidd, Hunter Couture show, um, it's tough to win basketball games that way. You have to have some level of contribution one through five. And there's been nights where the four spot gives you basically nothing. Um, Makai and Robbie Barron are both averaging four points a game. Robbie Barron's has really come on recently. Um, and then there's nights when you don't get a whole lot out of the three spot. I think the numbers were against Miami. I'll pull this up right now because – I forget the exact number off the top of my head, but the productivity out of the three spot was not great. And those were two guys that actually, you know, they were, they're normally our guys that play the three spot, but on this night, they're both starting uh, because Hunter was out. Yeah. Six for MJ, six for Tyler on three of 16 from the field from two guys who played 35 plus minutes. Um, you just need more productivity out of that spot. And I think you get Hunter back and you slide one of those guys back into the bench roll and you'll start to find some of that productivity. But um, certainly didn't feel like we played a horrible game, just didn't have the firepower in the second half to keep up with the Miami firepower once they started hitting their shots. Uh, I thought we did a really good job in the first half of defending without fouling. Um, I think that's going to be obviously massively important against Virginia on the road, not fouling, not giving Virginia easy buckets. Um, they have a hard enough time scoring. Don't make it easier for them. So I, I hope that they can carry that trend over from Miami game into the Virginia game. Um, and then I saw a little bit of chatter online about the last play where Miami gifted us a chance to tie the game. They threw a Hail Mary pass full court to Norchad O'Meara that went out of bounds, and we had the ball all of a sudden down three with like 20 seconds left. And people didn't like the shot because it was MJ Collins shooting, I think is why ultimately. But um, I just kind of want to mentally walk through that play. So Sean Padula comes down. They run a ball screen. He drags two guys with him, does a really good job of passing out of that ball screen, the double team, to MJ Collins, who's got a two-on-one on the backside with him and Jaden Young in the corner and one defender for Miami. I mean, I'd have to go back and watch it again. But in real time, I'm screaming, to the corner, to the corner. Jaden Young's wide open. He didn't. He kind of looked at Jaden Young, looked back, shot the three, missed. Miami gets the ball, and they win the game. There's nothing wrong with that play call. You're playing two-on-one on the backside with two guys who are playing in the ACC on a night when you don't have Hunter Couture. If you have Hunter Couture in the game, he's one of those two guys. Um, 
So I have no problem with the play call. I just want to kind of get that out there. That well, anytime that you create an odd man situation um, for the defense, that's a that's a good play call. Um, that's a good good set. That, that's a good shot. Uh, I thought MJ should have moved it to the corner for Young, and then you know who knows what happens from there. But um, overall, no, nothing wrong with that play call. And if Couture is on the floor, they're probably not doubling Padula, right? Probably not. That's the other part of it. Like, Padula is probably playing in that MJ Collins role at the top of the key. Like, they're probably not doubling Padula there and leaving a guy who shoots, like, 46% from three wide open. <laughs> right? They're not... I mean, how many times has Hunter Couture killed ACC teams with that shot at the top of the key? Like, a million times. Like, that's his shot. Um, they're, they're probably not doubling. If they are, right, and they're going to show hard to Couture there, then who is it in the corner? It's probably, it's probably MJ Collins in the corner, Ed. They're probably passing it to MJ Collins, and he's probably taking the shot from the corner. So... I'm with you. Like the alignment probably looks a little bit different, but ultimately is it MJ Collins still maybe taking the shot? Yeah, it is like MJ Collins is still probably on the floor in that situation. So I I was okay with that. I mean, I, again, MJ Collins also just hit a three, right. To keep the Hokies in it like 30 seconds before that, he had a huge three at the top of the key. I would have liked if he didn't hesitate. I mean, I think the hesitation killed him a little bit. So, you know, maybe not hesitate, maybe take that shot right away. Uh, but he was definitely considering it, tossing it to Jaden Young in the corner. Jaden Young probably, you know, from what we've seen so far, is probably a more reliable three-point shooter. I'm okay with it, though. Like, I think I think you live with it. And I think if you're Padula, you made the right basketball play. You know you're going to get doubled. Miami knows that Virginia Tech's only offense is Padula creating his own shot or Lynn Kidd rim running, especially with Hunter Couture out of the lineup. So they're going, of course, they're going to double Padula when the Hokies need a three. So I was okay with that play. It's kind of just like a consequence of the of the position Tech was in there. Yeah, and one other thing that I want to talk about a little bit that we haven't really talked about much on this podcast, and I've seen it addressed other places um, at a very high level, and um, it's a talking point for some reason, and I just don't want it to be anymore because it's a silly talking point, is the the Rodney Rice situation and the um, the constant, well, if we had Rodney Rice, well, if the staff didn't run off Rodney Rice, it, that's a ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> that is not what took place. Um, the staff did not run off Rodney Rice. I'm pretty sure that they would want Rodney Rice in the building if it was best for the program and the team and the kid himself. Um, and even if they did, right, even if they did, which they did not, um, you know, you, you lose Rodney Rice and you bring in a player who's as talented, in my opinion, maybe even more talented than Tyler Nichol. To wash. So, like, from a roster construction standpoint, you're still bringing in talented players um, who are learning on the fly. Like we talked about with Tyler, you know, he played six minutes a game at a different system in North Carolina. So he's basically a freshman. Um, so, you know, the Rodney thing, you know, yeah. You know, what if we had Bronny James? What if we had, you know, what if we had Kyle Filipowski? We can play that game all day long. Um, Rodney didn't want to be here. He transferred and left, and he's not playing currently in college basketball. So. That's all I'll have to say on that one. It's just the, the constant harping on who's not here is a complete waste of time. Yeah, Darren Buchanan had a really good game for George Washington. He played 51 minutes in that game. Um, that, you know, he's playing against Fordham. He's not playing against Miami. Can we please stop talking about players who have left the program? Um, it, it's just such a waste of breath. It really is. Yeah, I mean, hats off to Buchanan on the great game against Fordham, but he's playing in the A-10, right? And he like, played 51 minutes and scored 30 points. We're, we're playing in the A-10. I mean, I don't know. We're going to do this all day. You'd rather have Rodney Rice than not. Of course. course. But there's, but, uh, and, and we're not disputing that. 
but also like there's no guarantee that Rodney Rice steps in and gives you more than Tyler Nichols been giving you at six points per game. All of a sudden, we're we're thinking of Rodney Rice, right? We're thinking of Rodney Rice like he was going to step in and be an automatic like 15 points, five assist guy, which he didn't show himself to be that last year. I know he was banged up. He didn't show himself to be that last year. And who's to say he would he would all of a sudden be that guy this year just because he's a highly touted recruit? Like I don't I don't really understand. I, yeah, I don't want this to sound like I don't want this to sound like I'm you know defending the staff or anything like that. I'm not. It's just like a it's a weird thing that we're a fan a certain segment of the fan base is hanging their hat on is like, well, we don't have Rodney Rice and we should. Well, no. Think back to why we got Rodney Rice, right? He came with Mike Jones. Mike Jones left. Rodney Rice stuck around for, what, an extra two months? And then he left. Um, Darren Buchanan came here with Mike Jones, DC guy. Darren Buchanan left when Mike Jones left. So if Rodney had left when Mike Jones left, would people feel better? Probably, I guess. I don't know. That's a weird weird way to think about it, but I guess people would feel better. If Rodney Rice had left when Mike Jones left, that probably would have been better for everybody involved. But he didn't. He waited until two weeks before the season, and he bounced. And look, I want Rodney Rice in the program just as much as the next person, but I only want him in the program if he wants to be in the program. If he doesn't want to be in Blacksburg, then why keep him around? Why Why would you beg for him to stay? If you don't want to be there, you don't want to be there. It, it is what it is. I think the the ultimate issue here, right, is, you know, it sucks that Mike Jones left. But the other thing, too, is like, and we're going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, Ed, but this is the whole reason why when people said, when Tim Sands said, right, it's a basketball school. Everybody ran with that, right? When he said that when the uh, when the women made the Final Four. You know, Texas basketball school. Everybody ran with that. Virginia Tech will always be a football school, Ed. We know that. They're always going to be a football school. Look at how they spend for the football program relative to how they spend for the basketball program. The, the bigger issue here is not that Rodney Rice left. The bigger issue here is that Mike Jones left. And th- there's a lot that goes into it, right? The fact that he's from D.C., he was coaching in the WCAC forever, like, that, that stuff matters, right? He wanted to go back home. That's fine. But if you want to bring in coaches like Mike Jones, right, these incredible high school coaches who are getting their start in college basketball, if you want to have that pipeline to these big-time prospects and you want to hire those types of assistants, you got to spend a little bit more. I, I don't want to go in, into specific numbers right now, but if you look at Virginia Tech's basketball spending compared to the peers in the ACC, compared to what the fan base wants this Virginia Tech program to be, the spending is not there either. I'm not making excuses, but like, if you want to hire those big time assistants to help a guy like Mike Young recruit at that level and continue to recruit at that level, because that's what he's done since he's been in Blacksburg, it's been a talent retention issue, not not a development issue. It's been a retention issue. If you want to continue bringing those guys into the program, you have to spend more around the basketball program. Virginia Tech is and always will be a football school. It does come down to spending and keeping those types of coaches around to help Mike Young recruit. Um, that's what it boils down to. That's why Ronnie Rice left. That's why Buchanan left because Mike Jones left, which is what you just said. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, I, I think Virginia Tech's basketball program overall is in a pretty good place right now. If you consider, I mean, when I was in college, Ed, like I graduated in 2015, Virginia Tech's basketball program for, for two years was being coached by James Johnson. I, my freshman year was the last year of Seth Greenberg. And then I had one year of buzz before I left. And that was obviously the rebuild year before the ascent. Like, Virginia Tech's basketball program was in a really, really bad place, like, not even 10 years ago. So to consider where Tech was to where they were now, like, where Mike Young has this program is kind of where you would hope 
considering where Virginia Tech basketball has been historically. Where Buzz took it is probably like the peak, is probably like where it could be. That felt like a team that could make a Final Four. That's probably the peak of Virginia Tech basketball. In reality, like what Virginia Tech should be is in the conversation for the tournament every year, making it three or four out of five years. Like being a consistent tournament team around the bubble is what this basketball program should be. I'm not saying that there hasn't been a lot left on the table so far. I think there has been. I think there's been some disappointing years. Obviously, last year losing Couture. This year, obviously, not having Couture the last couple of games. Hopefully, he can get back on the floor. I do think this team is limited in terms of kind of where certain players are at. I think guys are continuing to develop. It's not on the best timeline when Hunter Couture is one of your best players, and this is last year of college basketball, right? You hope that some of the younger guys would come around a little bit more quickly, and maybe some of the transfers would contribute a little bit more than they have. But overall, it's hard to be really upset with like the state of the basketball program right now. And I th- think some fans are being hung up in that without realizing that like a decade ago, this was not a very good place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of rabbit holes I could go down here. But one that I will talk about because it gets talked about way too much also is the, you know, the Mike Young recruiting conversation. Um, Mike Young has brought in, I think, three, if I'm looking at this correctly, with a fourth on no, four with a fifth on the way top 13 players in program history. And there's the constant conversation about, you know, well, yeah, he brings them in and then they leave. Well, okay, can we look at where they're going, please? These kids aren't going to Duke. These kids aren't going to Clemson. These kids aren't going to Miami. They're going to Northern Arizona and they're going to GW and they're going to George Mason. Like, it's not like, like, yes, they were highly rated in high school. They're not, it's not like it's Chris Clark, right? It's not like Chris Clark jumping in the portal and going to Texas Tech with Chris Beard on a really good basketball team. These guys are leaving and they're downgrading. Like Jalen Cohen left, no disrespect to Jalen Cohen. He went and played at Northern Arizona and now he's at Cal. Joe Bamisel has played at four schools in four years. And Darius Maddox left. I don't believe, I've never heard that he was upset with the staff or anything. He left for a family problem and he moved back to the area. He's up in DC. He's playing at George Mason in Fairfax now. He's back closer to his parents due to family things. So this constant narrative is very interesting to me. Um, because it's not rooted in any real fact. It's just people yelling at the sun and it's really annoying. And it's wrong. Um, and if you want to continue to question the recruiting ability of this staff, just look at the number four all-time commit in Virginia Tech history who's on his way to Blacksburg next year, uh, Ryan Jones Jr. from Gainesville, Florida. So with with that, I'll get off the soapbox. We'll move on to the CBA game. Actually, no, I won't. One more thing. People love to say, oh, well, we should have kept Buzz. Buzz is 10-6 and six at year five in, in Texas A&M. Um, and his second-to-best player is – a guy who was a redshirt freshman on our Sweet 16 team and is 23 years of age in college in Tyrese Radford. So um, Buzz is not exactly lighting the world on fire down in Texas A&M with infinitely more resources than Mike Young has in Blacksburg. Hey, guys, this is Ali Jennings III, wide receiver for your Virginia Tech Hokies. When I committed to Virginia Tech football, I committed to the best. That's why I chose Harvey's GM in Radford. Why settle for less when you can have the best? Go to Harvey's GM for all of your vehicle needs. Tell them Ali sent you. That's Harvey's GM, Tyler Ave in Radford, or go to their website at harveysgm.com for more info. Um, with that, we will go to the UVA game. UVA reeling a little bit right now. This is not your Tony Bennett's team of the past. Um, it's kind of weird, though, because they have some big wins. Um, I watched them beat Florida down in Charlotte right before we played South Carolina. They were the game before us in that little limitational. 
Uh, they beat a Florida team that, you know, has had a decent year. And I was pretty impressed with what I saw from Virginia. I thought Reese Beekman played well that night. I thought the freshman big man, whose name is uh, drawing a blank for me right now. Hold on one second. Buchanan? Yeah, Buchanan. Um, Blake Buchanan. He's only averaging three points a game. But that night against Florida, he had 18. And I was like, wow, this kid's really good. He's going to be a problem for us. Um, but they have, So they've got wins over Florida. they got wins over West Virginia. they got a win over Texas A&M. They got a win over Syracuse, but then they have losses to Wisconsin at home. They have losses to at Memphis. They have a loss on the road at Notre Dame, who's not very good. And they've lost two straight at Wake or at NC State and at Wake. So they currently sit at eleven and five. Um, we currently sit at ten and six. We're both two and three in conference. Um, it's going to be an interesting game. You know, it's really Reese Beekman, Ryan Dunn, and that's kind of it for Virginia. Um, and then on our side, it's Sean Padula and it's Lynn Kidd. And then who's next? So I think, you know, to what we talked about earlier with a third person kind of stepping up, that's what's going to be required to win this game. Um, and that's going to be the same thing that I'm sure the Virginia fans are saying. You know, we need another guy to step up if we're going to have a chance to, you know, have a good season here. Um, and to this point, neither team has really found that third option. I mean, Isaac McNeely is averaging 11 a game for Virginia. Uh, really, really good player. I think he's a true sophomore. I think so is Ryan Dunn um they're both really good players and they were highly recruited kids um but it's it's Beekman and McNeely done and that's kind of it and then for us it's you know it's Padula kid and Couture and then who's next you know there's kind of a gap there so I'm going to go to this game uh I'm really excited for it. I think it's be a really good one and I think Virginia Tech's got a really good chance to win I need it really bad need to win yeah, yeah. um not not beating Miami and Florida State. The consequence of not winning either one of those two games is you got to win this one. Uh, we didn't even really talk about um, how Virginia Tech looked against Clemson. Ed, I mean, we touched on it briefly, but like you basically need Tyler Nichol to contribute in that way as long as Harry Couture is out of the lineup. Um, <laughs> you need that, right? Uh, you, you need to go on the road and win this game. Virginia's lost three out of four. They lost to Notre Dame by 22 uh, right before the new year. That was a really, really ugly loss, like a sky is falling type loss for the fan base, which yeah, is, yeah. I mean, talk about spoiled fan base, right? UVA's fan base with what Tony Bennett's built there. Uh, losing by 16 to NC State and then losing on the road away for us over the weekend, right? So UVA is definitely reeling. Uh, they do have a good team. They have a young team. It's, it's not the same team that, you know, we've seen in recent years, but I think there's a lot of potential still with this UVA team just because I think some of these younger guys outside of Beekman, right, Beekman's been there a while, but some of these younger guys, Ryan Dunn, um, McNeely, like you mentioned, like I, I think once these guys come along, Virginia's going to be back to kind of the team that everybody thought they would be. So I think the fan base just there just needs to chill out a little bit. But um, this is a game that the Hobies really need to win bad. Um, there's really not much else to say about it. I, I think it's... You know, it's it's a decent UVA defense, but it's not a suffocating UVA defense like we've seen no, in recent no. years that we've come to know out of Tony Bennett. This is not a unit that's that's going to hold, you know, Virginia Tech to like forty points. No, and no. and if the if the Hokies are held to forty points, they're going to lose the game. So um, that's going to be a lot of their own doing with like poor shooting and stuff like that. No, they gave up seventy six to Notre Dame, seventy six to NC State, and sixty six to Wake. So that, yeah, you're right. They're, I was going to was going to be my next point. They're giving up a lot of points. Yeah, so th their defense is not nearly as good as it usually is. So, I mean, I think there is opportunity here. I think if you get Hunter Couture back, that would be huge. I don't know what his status is. Uh, it would be good to get him back. Uh, I think we'll play. Yeah, he's, he's getting closer. And 
yeah, I mean, we'll see what Tyler Nichol uh, is able to give the Hokies. I, I'm also interested to see what the starting lineup looks like because I know uh, Mike Young was tweaking it a little bit before Couture even went out. Now with Couture back, obviously he'll be back in the starting lineup if he does play. I'm interested to see kind of what that looks like. Um, whether it's MJ Collins going back to the bench, do the Hokies still roll out with two bigs uh, with Barron and Lynn Kidd? That's been something that Mike Young's been tweaking a little bit. So I'm interested to see how that starting lineup looks. Uh, Hokies still haven't found a consistent five that they're comfortable rolling with on a night-to-night basis. I think that's another reason why Tech's kind of been struggling a little bit this year. So You mentioned that, and it makes me think of something, and you can keep talking while I try to find this, because it, it was so interesting to me. It was like a top 25, and I should have saved it, top 25, like highest rated five-man lineups in the country, and Virginia Tech had one, and I want to recall what it was. Well, I'll keep talking. Uh, I'll keep talking. Let you go find that. Um, just kind of this upcoming stretch, right outside of Virginia. Tech plays three out the next five games at home, right? They have back-to-back road games here at Virginia. Then they play at NC State over the weekend. You've got to try to win that game too. Then you get Georgia Tech at home, Duke at home, at Miami. Anybody writing off that Duke game as a loss because of how Duke has looked this year so far, I think would be kidding themselves, especially considering how Virginia Tech has played against Duke at home over the last like five or six years. I think it's a game Virginia Tech can definitely go out and win. I think in that game, you're definitely going to have to have production out of Couture and Nickel, because I think that's a game where a guy like Lynn Kidd could be a little bit more limited um, going up against Kyle Filipowski. I worry about Lynn Kidd against like the better competition um, in the front court in the ACC. But Boston College is a winnable game. Georgia Tech certainly a winnable game. Um, this is a stretch here that I think is really, really important to Virginia Tech's uh, tournament chances. And if you're a little bit more pessimistic and don't think Tech's going to a tournament, that's okay too. But at the very least, this is really important to Virginia Tech's bubble chances that you at least win these, you know, three out of the next four games against Virginia, NC State, Boston College, and Georgia Tech. Uh, you need to end January uh, trying to scrape uh, to 500 or game over 500 in the ACC if you can. Ed and I were doing a little bit of math on the schedule. Ed, not to jump too far ahead, but we were um, we were doing some math on the schedule. I think each of us said that Virginia Tech would be a viable tournament option if they finished with 11 or 12 wins in the ACC. I think to put yourself in a really, really good place to do that, you've got to at least try to win three out of your next four. That way it gives you breathing room in February and March to maybe drop one that you shouldn't and still give yourself an opportunity to get to that 11 or 12 win mark entering ACC tournament play. So this is a really important four-game stretch here coming up for the Hokies. Yeah, I can't find it. I'll keep looking for it in a second. Um, But, yeah, no, I actually, you know, I heard you just say win three out of the next four. I did this – quick math before we recorded um and i even just had us going two and three in our last five games in january so that would be wins over i think i just counted the two home games um wins over i think it's georgia tech and boston college at home um and i was just counting all of the other remaining january games the at uva at nc state and duke at home i was chalking those three up as losses and had us just winning two and going two and three and that gets you to four and six in conference play as the calendar turns to February, but then it kind of lightens up, right? So then in February, you got at Miami, that's a tough one. You go to Notre Dame in a game that I think we would all believe is winnable. Florida State at home, which would be a very winnable game. At UNC, loss. They're very, very good. 
that'd be a that would be a monumental win. Um, and Virginia at home where Mike Young has done really well beating Virginia at home. We've pretty much split with them every year that Mike Young's been here at Pitt toss up game at Syracuse toss up game. So even if you, you, you know, you give us one of the two away toss up games against Pitt and Syracuse to end the month, you go four and three in February calendar turns to March. You got wake at home, tough team to play. They're really good. Um, but at home, I like our chances against anybody at Louisville, go on the road and win one against a team that is, not terrible, but still pretty bad. And then you have Notre Dame at home, who's not very good in a game you'd expect to win. So you go three and one in March, that puts you at 11 and nine. So even if you don't steal either Virginia or NC State, there's still a pretty clear path. Um, I thought pretty conservatively. I didn't think I was being crazy when I did this to an 11 and nine conference record. Um, I think if you go over 500 in the conference with the non-conference schedule we had, I like our chances to be, you know, to backdoor our way into the tournament. You know, we played a top 100 non-conference schedule and did well in doing so. Um, the Iowa State win keeps getting better. That's a really, really good team. Boise State win also keeps getting better. Um, and none of the losses are really that bad. You know, Mike and I talked about this before we press record as well. Like, you know, you lose to South Carolina. They're right now a tournament team. Lenardi has them as a 10 seed. You lose that game by two on a neutral site. That's not going to kill your resume. You lose to Florida Atlantic on a neutral side as well. Again, really good team, top 25 team. The loss to Auburn keeps getting better as they keep winning games. Uh, they're a ranked team now as well on the roads. So that's not going to kill you either in terms of your resume. Um, the loss to Wake, you don't want to lose that by 20 the way we did, but that's a good team on the road, lost to. Florida State one, that's the one you could probably point to the most and say Florida State or Miami are the two you point to the most and say, like, that's not a good loss. Um, and in, even in saying that, Florida State's won four straight games to start conference play. They're four and one with their one loss being back in that weird one-off conference game to UNC, who's one of the best teams in the country. Um, and then the Miami one, I think, will age well. I think uh, Nigel Pock, Norchad O'Meara, Wuka Poplar, that's a really good core. Uh, that freshman kid that they had, too, um, that's, a, that's a big dude. Um, I'm excited to watch his career kind of unfold. So, yeah, the Florida State-Miami ones are – the worst of the losses. And I don't think they're, they're not resume killers by any stretch. So if you've, if you are able to battle your way to an 11, nine or 12 and eight conference record, I think you find yourself in a really interesting position on selection Sunday. So um, I'm excited to see kind of what we can do on the, with these next two road games, Wednesday, Saturday. Um, if you find a way to win one, that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, you're playing with house money then for the rest of the month. Cause then you got two home games against Boston college and Georgia tech. And then Duke comes into Blacksburg, which is always an interesting time. You always got to look at these games, like especially in conference plays, like three or four game sets. Like, hey, can we steal two here? Can we win one of these next three tough ones? Can we? Because you know, when you look at the schedule in totality, and you think back to some of the wins that Virginia Tech had in the non-con, um, beating Iowa State, beating Boise State. I mean, you mentioned like none of the losses are bad, like real bad at the moment. Like Florida State's, I think, the worst one. Everybody's pointing to Miami because Miami went and lost to Louisville last week. Okay, fine. Miami, like we mentioned, I think that's still a tournament team. Um, they, they were dealing with some injuries, too, right, going into that Louisville game. Like, they didn't even practice. Jim Laranega mentioned it. Like, should they have lost that game? No. But, like, they went in, and they didn't really have enough healthy bodies to practice. They, everybody on their roster was dealing with some sort of ankle sprain, it seemed like. So I don't know if that's coach speak and just, like, protecting your players from a bad performance or what. But, like, they seem more prepared, obviously, going to Blacksburg. I thought Tech played them tough. Florida State's probably the worst loss, and they're 4-1 in ACC play right now. So 
if your worst loss is to a team that looks like it could find its way back on the bubble with the way it started out ACC play, I think you're in a pretty good spot. And like we mentioned uh, at the start of conference play, we recorded a podcast ahead and discussed like, okay, what is what is the record that gets Virginia Tech on the bubble with an opportunity to get to the tournament? And I think, you know, we both said 11 or 12 ACC wins. And But a big part of that conversation was like, show us what the losses are. And that continues to be the case. And when looking at this schedule right now, Tech doesn't have any terrible, terrible losses. I think Florida State's definitely the worst one. We'll see how that ages. It's aging pretty well right now, considering how Florida State's been playing recently. We'll see if that continues. That does have an opportunity to still be one of the worst losses on Virginia Tech's resume. But if a a loss to a Florida State team that goes like 500 in, in league play ends up being Tech's worst loss, I think they'll live, especially if they win. 11 or 12 games in ACC play and still find their way back on the bubble. I found the lineup thing. <laughs> oh, you have to pay for it on the website itself. That's all right. I have the TikTok. Um, top 25 lineup per this analytic. How much I trust it, I don't know, but um, I just did find it interesting that the combination of players. So Virginia Tech has one. There's certain teams on this list who have multiple combinations that would be deemed as top 25 lineup combinations. Um, you know, teams like UConn, which obviously very, very good team. But um, the top 25 lineup that Virginia Tech has is Hunter Couture, Lynn Kidd, Makai Long, Tyler Nickel, and Sean Padula. So analytically, that's kind of our best five. And quite frankly, when I saw that, um, I wasn't overly surprised. You know, that that's a pretty versatile lineup that gives you a really, really good scoring guard in Sean Padula, a big man who's had a really good year. Um and then two absolute snipers on the side and Couture and Nickel. And then you've got Link Kidd, you know, who's had a really, really good year himself. So um, I wasn't overly surprised when I saw that. And, you know, I, I think that Coach Young will stick with um, MJ Collins and Robbie Baran in the starting rotation, especially against Virginia. It's going to be a really hostile environment. Um, would be a tough place for Tyler Nickel to get what would have been, you know, less than five, less than his fifth college start, I believe. Um so I think that's who we'll stick with, but I'm interested to see as the games progress uh, throughout ACC play, if that five-man rotation I just listed makes its way onto the floor more and more in crunch time. The uh, So again, it was Padula, Couture, Nickel, Long, Kid. Um, so that's a five I'll be watching to keep an eye on just because, you know, some guy told me to on TikTok. So. Defense and rebounding, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. get Mikhail Long, you know, that guy is so fun to watch. Uh, pushes in transition, transition dunks. Um, loose balls, rebounding, and plays really good defense. I thought he did a good job on Matthew Cleveland the other day. Matthew Cleveland had a good game, um, but it was a lot of open looks and transition looks that Cleveland got, not, you know, isolation one-on-one type stuff against Mikhail Long. Um, it's been 37 minutes. I don't really have much else to add. I will be at the Virginia game. If you'll be at the Virginia game, anybody, holler at me on Twitter and meet up before or after um, or during. I'm excited for that one. It's always fun to watch a game at JPJ. It's a really cool venue, um, even though we want to leave happy and make them all sad. So I'm excited for it. Um, keys to the game for me, uh, I think Hunter Couture, if he plays, and I'm assuming he will, he'll be on Reese Beekman. Uh, keep Reese Beekman in check. And then outside of that, they don't have a whole lot offensively. I'm not too worried about stopping them. Um, I just hope that we are able to deal with the pressure that they do provide. It's not as... Potent as years past, but it's still Tony Bennett defense and still elite level pressure. Um, if we can play under control, limit the turnovers to say somewhere around, I mean, 10 is a good number, but realistically against Virginia, probably 12 or 13 is a good number. 
Uh, anything over that is too many. If we can keep it under 12 turnovers, I like our chances to win. Yeah, it, it, having Couture back on the floor will take a little bit of pressure off of Padula, too. Um, he had six turnovers the other night against Miami. None of them, in my opinion, really killed Virginia Tech, right? Um, again, absurdly high usage. <laughs> so that's you're going to have a handful of turnovers when you know, you're playing 38 minutes and the whole offense is running through you. That's just kind of what happens. So I'm okay with the six turnovers the other night. It kind of is what it is. He had 33 points offset. He's the only reason they're even in that game. So, I, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, but, um, yeah, limit the turnovers is the big thing. Um, Got to clean up on the glass, too. Thought, you know, I think Virginia Tech's been doing a decent job of that lately. I think um, Rye Grant in particular has been better. He's been more aggressive, I think. Um, of late, both defensively and chasing down loose balls and everything else. I think he's definitely getting more comfortable. Um, so I think continuing that trend here against UVA would be good. A big Lynn Kidd game would be helpful. Um, get him some opportunities rim running um, underneath. That that would definitely help too. So, yeah, last hopefully thing he's got Couture back. Yeah, last yeah, thing last for me, Scott Melagic He's been playing really good minutes off the bench. So definitely want to throw his name played, out there. He, played great. He's he played great, great the other night. Yeah, he's not going to light up the stat sheet, but he he plays really, really good basketball night in and night out, and he is an absolute force defensively. So a shout-out to Malagel. Um Excited for Wednesday, man. I think we've got a good chance to get a road win against a team that we all would love to beat, right? Um, plus, it would be nice to see. You know, if we beat him on the road, you like to think we'll beat him at home. It would be nice for Mike Young to get both in this series in one calendar year. That would be pretty awesome. Um, but that's it for me. Uh, go Hokies. to wander tripping in the sand we smoke out windows drink till we can't stand but i saw you dance like you want to in my head and all that she said is oh i know what you're thinking please don't go to slice and trash my friend's place wake up the next day Take a hit.